So imagine if you can hit the ground running and kind of have all the tools that you need. Welcome to Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast. I'm Dr. Jen Barna, and I'm thrilled today to have Dr. Alfred Atanda, who is inspiring and is doing so much outside of his incredible work as a pediatric orthopedic surgeon at the Alfred I. DuPont Hospital for Children in Wilmington, Delaware, where he serves as the chief of the Center for Sports Medicine, the director of clinical well-being, and is also an assistant professor of orthopedic surgery at the Sydney Kimmel Medical College at Thomas Jefferson University. His clinical interests include sports medicine, orthopedic trauma, general pediatric orthopedics, and injury prevention in youth athletes. With his expertise in these areas, he's frequently invited to teach and lecture locally, regionally, and nationally. His future goals and aspirations are to reimagine how healthcare is delivered by leveraging digital health and telemedicine technology to appropriately triage, navigate, evaluate, and treat orthopedic patients. He's the chief editor of the world's first textbook solely dedicated to telemedicine in orthopedic surgery and sports medicine. In his non-surgical role, he's been working to optimize the physician experience, bringing awareness to the many ramifications of physician burnout, lack of well-being, and suicide. He not only works with individual physicians, but also is instrumental in creating and implementing an overall physician well-being strategy for his organization. He's a physician expert for numerous telemedicine companies providing strategic advice and e-consultations to urgent care, emergency medicine, and primary care physicians, as well as second opinions directly to patients, and has also launched a telemedicine concierge service for the parents of youth athletes called SportsLink. MD. In addition to all of this, Dr. Atanda is a father, and I don't know whether to be intimidated or inspired. <laughs> a lot of what I talk about is balancing life and medicine, and I am so excited to hear about how you do everything that you do and help so many people on so many levels. Welcome to Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast, Dr. Alfred Atanda. Thanks, Jen. Thanks for having me. That's a wonderful introduction and makes me seem a lot more exciting than I feel. But no, thanks for that. That's great. Great to be here. Well, it is terrific to speak with you. I have so many questions. You're doing so much. And of course, all of this is on top of a successful career as a pediatric orthopedic surgeon. Your telemedicine interests, I think, are relevant to so many of our listeners how you have managed to integrate telemedicine into your busy practice. I think maybe that would be the first question. You know, for me personally, telemedicine, it's been a very interesting journey. As you know, COVID and everything has really put telemedicine on the map. And, you know, I like to say I was doing it before it was cool. I started back in 2015 and it was really just by chance. You know, I just started really thinking about the value that I'm providing to a lot of folks in the clinic. And I realized that a lot of what I do is really centered around information transfer, whether it be providing knowledge, providing guidance, providing advice, you know, for post-operative patients, surgical discussions, reviewing MRIs and imaging studies. I felt like, you know, that's really the value of what people were getting from me. And in a lot of instances, they didn't really physically have to come here. 
I guess it really dawned on me when I went and visited, you know, we're up in Wilmington and the Delaware beaches are about an hour and a half, two hours south of here. And there was a patient of mine, his dad begged me to come to his store so he could kind of, you know, give me some free swag, thanking me for operating on his son. So, you know, I'm from the Jersey shore and I'm a little bit of a snob, but I was like, fine, I'll go to the Delaware beaches. And, you know, when I drove down there, it just struck me like how far, I mean, it's like a hundred miles from our hospital. And I was like, there's so many kids and so many schools down there. And they all come up to see me, including this kid and his dad. And I was like, well, I just operated on him. And, you know, he's going to come up in like a week. And I was like, well, why don't I just FaceTime with him while I'm down here? Because the kid was at home. He wasn't at the store. So I just FaceTimed with him because the dad said he had some questions. He couldn't figure out how to use his brace. So I was driving home. I was like, well, this kid's supposed to come and see me in a week or two, like, he might as well just stay down there because I just kind of did a visit. And that's literally where I got the idea. And I was like, well, if I could do it for him, I could do it for all sorts of other kids. And, you know, obviously when you're doing anything innovative and new, it's hard and you're like a pioneer and you're forging your own path. And the pandemic really blew up telemedicine. But, you know, everybody says like, oh, the pandemic must have been great for you. Now everybody's doing Zoom and Teams and this. And to be quite honest, it actually had a negative impact on me and my telemedicine experience, mostly because what I was doing, it, it was new. It was novel. I could educate people. You know, I could do consulting where I can go to different practices and lecture to them about it and be compensated. Now everybody knows what it is. So like the cat's kind of out of the bag. It's like, oh, telemedicine, what platform are you using? You know, everybody knows. And you asked about well-being. So I've kind of just shifted and just pivoted, you know, because I really like to be doing things that are cutting edge that most people don't know about. And once everybody knows about it, I just kind of lose interest. <laughs> I mean, I still do it and it's still fun. But that's when the whole well-being thing, I just kind of pivoted towards that and it took off a little bit. So for a physician who may be listening, who's interested in delving into some telemedicine as part of their work. Do you recommend contracting then with multiple companies? How would someone approach that? Do you have any tips? I mean, it depends what you want to do. So there's lots of different ways to do telemedicine. Some people do it full-time and then there's people like me who do it on the side. You know, I am a full-time surgeon and I have a practice. So I fill up my nights and weekends with telemedicine consults and it has to be in a way that's convenient for you. If you want to quit your kind of traditional job and go full force into telemedicine, that's fine. There's a lot of opportunities out there. Most of what you're going to be doing is like urgent care and sick visits, but you can also do specialty visits as well. And a lot of the big companies, Teladoc, your Amwells, your MD Lives, InTouch Health, those are going to be the ones that can kind of get you those contracts. For me personally, what I do is I work with a lot of different companies because you know each of them will give you probably a few consults a month. So if you work with five or six or seven companies, you can probably make a few couple grand every month in kind of surplus revenue. And that's what I've done. I just kind of work as an independent contractor. Most of the things that I do is provider to provider consultation. So as a specialist to like PCPs and urgent care docs, and then the second opinion work is straight to patients. But I think there is a lot of flexibility for docs. You just have to figure out what it is that you need. I always tease people and say it's kind of like if you're online dating, you know, you have to have your profile, you have to have what you want, what you can offer people and what you're looking for. You don't want to just say, hey, I want to do telemedicine. It has to be something that fits with your life, your lifestyle, your financial requirements, your financial needs, your home life, your kids, your hobbies. But it's cool because it is flexible and yet you can kind of choose your own adventure. You know, the traditional practice of being a physician 
you're kind of shackled to your job, right? You're trading your time and your energy in an active fashion for revenue. And that's fine, but you're always going to have to be at work to generate revenue. Whereas these other things, you can still generate revenue, provide value to people and organizations and patients, but do it in a way that, you know, you have a little bit of autonomy and control as to when you do these consults, which is very nice. Terrific. That's a huge help. And I think anyone listening who may be interested can get a lot of value from that information. It's a great segue into talking about physician wellness because the concept yeah. of, you know, even just compromising, if you wanted to do part-time telemedicine, you would increase your flexibility. So what was it that turned your head toward physician wellness? Did you have any particular experience that made you tune into that? I mean, to me, the biggest thing was, and on a personal level, I'm divorced now. My kids are now 11 and eight. When we split up, they were six and three. So they were pretty young. So my ex-wife is a physician. She's a pediatrician. When we split up, I quickly realized that when I'm with my kids, it's always me. <laughs> There's nobody else with them. And it hit me like a ton of bricks that I needed to figure out a way that I can do my job, feed my children, be myself, you know, have my hobbies, you know, my extended family and friends. And that's almost not possible in the traditional aspect of being a physician. And I think, you know, that was a huge kind of eye-opening experience for me because I was like shackled to my job. So the idea for physician well-being for me personally came from really having the flexibility and autonomy as to how you generate your income. And that's where it all started because I was like, well, I have to figure out ways that I can be crafty and innovative and be a family guy and be around my kids. And in the traditional sense, as we know, as parents who are physicians, if your kid comes up to you and says, hey, daddy, I have a field trip next Thursday at 10 a.m., I can't go, right? I have to tell my administrative staff six weeks in advance if I want to cancel a clinic and this and that. And that was really wearing on me. And it was that thing where it all began. But then it kind of spawned from there. And I started thinking of all the other aspects of life as a physician that can be optimized and improved. Another big thing is I started giving lectures to residents about all of the, we call them soft skills in surgery that you are never, ever taught, but are extremely important to your day-to-day -day life. One of the biggest things I think is communication. Like we're not taught how to communicate with people. We're not taught how to give and receive feedback appropriately. We're not taught how to motivate and inspire people, you know? And the second corollary to that is leadership. Like as a physician, you're a leader. You don't have to be the chairperson or an administrative role to be a leader. You have a secretary, you may have a resident, you may have a PA or something. And this is where it all came from. Like I'd be in the OR talking to residents about these things. Like, yeah, you know, life as a physician isn't that easy. You know, it's not easy to be an attending, even though when you're a resident, you think that way. So over time, I started piecing like different topics together. And then I came up with a talk that's about 45, 50 minutes. And every slide is like chock full of things that the residents could have learned from. And as I was doing that, our hospital actually put out a job description for a role the director of clinician well-being. And it was very serendipitous how I was kind of coming into my own about these sorts of topics. And then when this job description opened up, they also opened up a job description for a chief wellness officer. So that person is full-time. She's a rheumatologist. My role is about 15, 20%, something like that. So that helped me because I still want to be a surgeon. I still want to be relevant. I still need to generate revenue. You know, the amount of money I make, no one is going to pay me that amount of money to talk about well-being. It'd be nice, but they won't. 
So I have to still practice. So this role, it suited my lifestyle very well. It didn't take up all my time. It allowed me to still do surgery. But then I started getting more academic about it. So before it was just very anecdotal. But now, you know, I go to well-being conferences. I read the well-being literature, you know, from folks like Tate Shanafelt and Chris Sinsky, people in the really huge organizations like Stanford and Mayo who've been leading the charge with well-being. So I'm now getting familiar with all those terms and looking at all the systemic level barriers to well-being and burnout drivers that exist, the EHR, administrative burden, clinical workload. You know, there's so many things. So it's kind of evolved. I mean, I don't think there was like one specific thing, but to be honest with you, I think it was my divorce and kind of checking in with myself as to how moving forward, I was going to continue being who I am professionally, but also make sure that my kids got as much of me as they needed and as much of me as I could provide for them. And it just kind of turned into this kind of big monster of well-being. So it's kind of taken off. And to be honest with you, it's given me a lot more opportunity than telemedicine has as of late. I spent a lot more time with well-being, although it's ironic. I make more revenue and income from telemedicine because it's still healthcare, it's still tangible, health insurance pays for it. Whereas well-being takes up a lot of my time and my energy and it kind of is therapeutic for me, but it's not as financially lucrative, but that's okay because it promotes my own well-being. So you brought up so many points that I would love to talk with you further about. First of all, just the concept that each of us as physicians has, I think, often something that strikes us as the tipping point or, you know, mm -hmm. really is the thing that we think back to in terms of what was it that made this struggle between mm -hmm. balancing work and life? Because at least traditionally in our culture of medicine, we really are expected to give 100% of our oh, yeah. time and energy to work. And I think the way we're trained, it's like mentally what we are thinking is, okay, I'm going to give a hundred percent of my time and energy to my work. And then <laughs> after spending a hundred percent, I'm going to still have time to have a life. And I mean, a hundred percent is a hundred percent, you know, the numbers don't work. And so it is a struggle. I mean, for me, I agree. I had a similar struggle as a parent, like that was mm -hmm. really where the pull was for me. And I didn't anticipate that before I had kids. I thought I would be fine with right. it. But once I had them, I just wanted to be with them all the time. And I couldn't. Right. And like you say, when that field trip comes up and you can't go, or like when your child, in my case, my son, I remember came home one time and had this really wonderful art project. Mm -hmm. And as he was pretty young, I said, wow, that's so incredible. Like, how did you make that? And he said, oh, Jimmy's mom helped me. <laughs> and I was like, wait, there were parents there? And he was like, yeah, but you couldn't come, mom. You had to work. <laughs> like he didn't even mention it to me because he knew I couldn't come. And I just was like, right. oh, you know, he was fine with it, but I wasn't. I still feel right. guilty about it even now. And not even just guilty, but I just wish I could have been there. Right. You want to you know? be present. Yeah, you really do. And so I agree. There are ways, and I did struggle with it, but found ways to make my kids feel like I was present when I was, mm -hmm. you know, to try to be there 100% when I was there. And it sounds like you've sorted it out in a way that we can all potentially learn something from you. And I'd love to hear your tips on that. Like just in terms of time management and in terms of how do you be present, that's an extremely hard skill. And I am not perfect. I am not an expert. In my talk that I give the residents, I do have a slide about, it's all about prioritization. And again, we are not taught and given the skills necessary to really balance our lives as a physician. We are taught how to be physicians. Everything in our world of training 
is about that small box, but nobody tells you about how to live in that box while you're living in the box as a spouse, as a sibling, as a parent, as a neighbor, as somebody who loves to run or bake or hike. You know what? You don't get that. So then you show up and you're completely unprepared for life. And it's almost (laughs) like you're trapped in adolescence. I feel like because you have your whole world for this period of training, which is a very long time, right. is sort of limited by just everything we do at work. And you mm-hmm. come home, you know, you do whatever has to be done at the end of the day. Honestly, a lot of times you come home and read to prepare for the next day at work. Right. <laughs> so even your reading. time at home <laughs> is taken up with work, really. And meanwhile, all of your peers in other careers are out in the world learning about how to be an adult, how to manage money, how to do all these things. And we're really just kind of focused on this one thing. Yeah. I use the analogy of, I know, you know, Michael Phelps, the Olympic swimmer, you know, imagine the way he was trained. He swims in Olympic size swimming pools at a certain temperature at a certain pH. And he's got people there testing the water, blah, blah, blah. Imagine if you took him and threw him into the middle of the Pacific ocean, you know, like he's not going to drown but he's not going to thrive and perform at the top of his level either. That's not what he's used to. He's going to be like, wait, what's with all these waves, sharks and jellyfish and the cold water and everything. It's dark out here. I can't see, you know, like that's what it's like. At least that's the way I felt. Like I was trained a certain way and then they plop you into the job as an attending and there's all these other things that you don't know how to deal with. And they kind of just expect you to deal with it. And they look at you weird if you kind of ask for help or you kind of show that you're uncertain or scared. So to go back, yeah, and everybody else kind of flounders around. Like I said, Michael Phelps isn't going to drown and he'll get used to it eventually, but it'll probably take him 10 years to get, you know, so imagine if you can hit the ground running and kind of have all the tools that you need. And back to your original question, you know, time management is key because you actually have less time as an attending than you think as a resident, like, oh, Attendings are never here. They don't have to round. They don't have to do notes and this. Yeah, but they have families and bills and debts and this and that. So for me personally, the biggest thing I tell people is just to really compartmentalize your life. So when you are with your kids, you know, you set aside however long it's going to be like for two hours, I am going to be with my kids. I turn off my phone. I don't go near a computer. I literally just do whatever they want to do. And it's hard because I'm like, oh man, you know, tomorrow's journal club and I have to read that article. Oh, I'm really doing that hard ACL tomorrow. And you start thinking, but I'm like, no, I'm here. I'm going to play their little games and do trivial pursuit, play air hockey and ping pong and all the stuff we do. And then after two hours, like, okay, kids, you know, go and do your thing. And then I say, okay, for an hour, I'm going to get through my email, you know, and it's all about email. I make sure the kids are fed, make sure... There's no disturbances. And I just focus on that. That works for me because the whole multitasking thing, which again, physicians usually do when you're a resident, you're running around, you have to multitask. It doesn't work that way in real life because nothing gets a hundred percent of your attention that way. Everybody gets like 50% of your attention, but I want to be intentional about what is in front of me. If it's my kids, then I'm a dad for two hours. And, you know, they understand that I can't be a dad 24 hours a day. But those several hours that they get me, they get all of me. And when I'm in my email, I'm there. Right now I'm doing this podcast. I've gotten about six phone calls and three text messages, two of which are from my chairman. He's going to be very upset, but I'm here. I'm with you. You know, I'm not going to be like, hold on one second. Let me, you know, 
And it's hard to learn those skills because that's not how we were brought up and nobody ever really taught us that. You just kind of learn it on the job. And some people, unfortunately, they never get good at it. And they are just stressed and spread thin and just never really fully present ever. Speaking of that, how are things going as the chief wellness officer in your institution? I'm not asking really specifically to judge in any way your institution. I think any institution like that is going to be similar to others. And that's why I'm asking, Mm -hmm. what does it feel like to be in that role right now, where we are in the world at this time in 2022? Yeah. And just to clarify, we have a chief wellness officer that's not me. I don't want to take anything away from her. I'm the director of clinician well-being. But yeah, I work closely with her and it's hard. I feel like physicians are really struggling. COVID has not helped. And I feel like there's been so much thrust upon the backs of physicians for so long that this initial time period where we're actually listening and hearing them peeling that onion back and just getting through the layers of burnout and stress that people are feeling. It's almost like this big cathartic release for people. The initial time period, what we're going through now is because we're just on our early part of our journey is hard because it's so uncomfortable for people to even open up about these things. But I think as we move forward and we kind of permeate well-being throughout all aspects of the organization, It'll become easier, but it's tough. And I'll tell you what, we have a lot of priorities and initiatives and endeavors and well-being is one of them, but we can't look at it that way. Well-being has to be something that's permeated and intricately woven into every single decision that's made. Like, oh, how is this going to affect the physicians? How is this going to affect the end users? Because oftentimes, as you know, administrators, people with non-clinical priorities come up with something that they need physicians to do for whatever reason, whether it's a legal issue, a compliance issue, a financial issue. And then they work on it for six months or a year. They vet it. They do all this stuff. They buy some expensive platform and then they thrust it upon the physicians. And guess what? The physicians don't want to do it or they don't like it or they push back. And now you have a problem because they want us to do it. You don't want And it's this kind of battle that all physicians experience in all organizations. And now that we are actually exposing this and really uncovering it, it's great for our organization because it's one small baby step towards that utopia that we all want to live in. But that initial run-in period, it's kind of like you have your attic and it's full of junk and you have to clean it. When you first open the door and you see the mice and the cobwebs and it smells terrible, it's an awful feeling. But once you kind of get the ball moving and rolling and some momentum, it starts to feel better. We're not there yet. We're still on the initial stages. So it's top. Every group I meet with, every doc, they're just stressed and burdened. And I'll tell you what, I have my own problems, right? I have a full-time practice. I have my own stressors. This is something I didn't expect. Now I have to learn how I can do my job and be a dad and a friend and a spouse and all this other stuff that I want to do, plus kind of share the load and the burden of a lot of other people who are now counting on me. They're like, oh, great. Now there's a complaint department for physicians. There never was, right? There's a complaint department for patients, but we don't have that. So it's been a wild ride because like I'm learning every single day and I'm experiencing things that I didn't expect to experience, but it makes me feel really, really good to provide value to my organization in ways that's not just seeing patients in clinic and filling out notes. I mean, that's great and all, and it makes revenue, but at the end of the day, that's not what really moves me. 
So I'm just thankful that I have a way that I can give back to the organization that's kind of lifting me up and filling my tank, so to speak. So yeah, it's tough, but I think we're moving in the right direction. Dr. Alfred Atanda, thank you so much for joining me today on Doc Working the Whole Physician podcast. I'm looking forward to talking with you again in the future to delve in on some of these issues that we barely touched on today, because you have a lot of insight and experience. And I love your tips and suggestions for our listeners. Also, you've really hit on a lot of the key concepts that I feel really strongly about as well, that physicians can benefit from ongoing coaching. As you said, we are all a work in progress and we're all constantly trying to maximize our potential, whatever that is, as defined by each of us as an individual. And Ongoing coaching can help us with not only dealing with and or preventing burnout, but also gaining communication skills, moving forward in terms of developing leadership skills and attaining goals in a more time efficient way, stress management, Mm -hmm. time management, so that instead of, you know, being Michael Phelps in an ocean that takes 10 years to adapt with some coaching and preparation, then you can get to whatever it is that is your personal goal in a more time efficient way. And all of us are most limited with time, which is of course a resource we can't get back. So how can people reach you if they want to get more information? You have a terrific YouTube channel, for example, and other ways. (laughs) Tell me about that. Yeah. I mean, YouTube, the name of my channel is Alfred Atanda MD. The other big place I'm on is Instagram. It's Alfred Atanda Jr. And then sportslinkmd.com is the website for my telemedicine concierge service. And then I'm just Alfred Atanda on Facebook. Terrific. Thank you again. And I look forward to our next conversation. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm Amanda Taran, producer of Doc Working, the Whole Physician podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please don't forget to like and subscribe and head over to DocWorking.com to see all we have to offer.